Well, hi everyone. Uh, we're going to start a new series today, uh, looking at the Gospel of Mark, and we're going to spend the next uh, number of weeks just walking through Mark's Gospel together. So today is something of an introduction to Mark's Gospel, and we're going to look at some of the things that Mark uh, is keen to teach, some of the things that he uh, considers to be of, of, of extreme importance uh, in the life of Jesus, and uh, maybe even a little bit of why he wrote it as well. So let's just begin, I think, by reading uh, the first 15 verses of Mark chapter 1. This is Mark's own introduction. It sort of sets out his stall, as it were, for uh, what he's trying to communicate through his whole book. So let's read Mark chapter 1. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. As is written in Isaiah the prophet, I will send my message ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem came out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptised by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair, a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. I baptise you with water, but he will baptise you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and he was baptised by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the Spirit sent out sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these precious words about who Jesus is. And we pray, Spirit of God, come and lead us into this truth, Father, we pray. We want to be different because we spent time in your word today. We want to have our faith strengthened, our, heart, our hope raised. We want to have our eyes fixed more fully on you to understand something about what you have done for us. And we pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So Mark's Gospel is the earliest of the four Gospels. And what I mean by that is it's, we have the oldest manuscripts available to us. They are the, uh, the, uh, the New Testament was written down and then copied. Uh, and obviously there are copies from all through the ages that we can go back and look at. And we have the, some of the oldest ones that we have are of Mark's Gospel. Um, it's a short book. It's the shortest of the Gospels. It's got just 16 chapters. And it's fast moving. There aren't really any fillers uh, in Mark's writing. He doesn't sort of, you know, he's, he's not telling you a lot of extra things. He's just telling you what he feels that you really need to know. Mark, or John Mark, was a companion of the Apostle Paul, travelled with him. And he also knew Peter. And some uh, historians and theologians suggest that Mark's gospel is actually a kind of compiled 
history of Peter's memoirs or memories that Mark has recorded. So in other words, uh, John Mark being a friend of Peter would sit, uh, Peter would tell the story of Jesus and Mark would record all of it and this is what we have. Now some would say that's not, I don't think that's the case. Others of course are making the case. Either way, this is an, an accurate story of Jesus of Nazareth. Now Mark's Gospel challenges the reader to ask and re-ask questions. And the biggest question that Mark is concerned with as he's writing his scripture, as he's writing his gospel is this, who is Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? Still relevant, absolutely relevant for us today. And that's his concern. That's what he's, he, he's saying, look, and the disciples of Jesus, as they got to know him, as he called them to follow him, they were asking this question, who is he? And the wider the, uh, uh, the, the audience through Jesus' ministry all came back to this question, who is he? Who is he? Now there's a surprising ending to this gospel. If you turn to Matthew 16, you'll see uh, that, um, that it seems as if early manuscripts left the reader hanging because there's an empty tomb and there are women running away and you're left again with the question, what has happened? And what Mark expects the reader of his gospel to do is to ask the questions, to thoughtfully consider all the facts he's putting before them and to come to their own conclusions. And that's what he wants us to do. That's what he wants his readers to do. He is a gospel preacher in that sense. He's not answering all the questions. He's saying, you need to, you need to know. You need, in your own heart and mind, you need to come to a conclusion for yourself. Who is he? Who is Jesus? Now, Mark wants us to reach those conclusions, uh, but he is in no doubt himself who Jesus is and what he's doing. And I want us to look at, uh, at the first and the last verse of this passage that we read here, uh, the first chapter of Mark's Gospel. I want us to look at those two um, verses. And just as Mark asks questions of his readers, I'd like us to ask questions of these two verses, because they tell us a lot about Mark's own um, conclusions and helps us to draw some as well but it'll also help us as we look through the rest of Mark because these themes are going to come back and come back and come back so it will help us just as a way of an introduction so the first verse is this the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah the Son of God that's the opening line the, the first verse the first thing that Mark says and then the last verse of this chapter says this the kingdom of God has come near repent and believe the good news. This is telling us something of Mark's burden, of his sense of purpose in writing the book. And we've got six questions we're going to ask of these two verses, three of the first and three of the second. So let's, I'll just tell you what they are, because if you are kind of a roadmap as we go through this morning. Who is Jesus? Number one. Number two, who is the Messiah? Number three, who is this Son of God? Number four, what is the kingdom of God? Number five, what is the gospel? Number six, why do I need to repent in order to believe? So just six questions of these two verses. Uh, we need to scrutinize these things if we're going to work it out. What is, what are, Mark, come on, what are you saying to us? What is it that you're trying to communicate here? So first, who is Jesus from Mark 1 verse 1? The verse says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, the book opens with these very familiar words, the beginning, the beginning. 
and Mark is uh, not in uh, making a mistake here. Um, now he knows this, this is this is deliberate. It's a reference back to Genesis. It's what John also does at the beginning of his gospel when he talks about uh, in the beginning was the word and here Mark is talking about the beginning. It's a deliberate reflection. Mark is adding a sense of gravity to his work and he's telling us who Jesus is even in uh, referencing uh, back to Genesis itself. So just as Genesis is a book about a creator and his creation, this is a book which tells an even greater story. This is a gospel that tells us a story of even a greater magnitude than the creation itself, but it does give us an understanding of Mark, uh, of what Mark says about Jesus. Jesus is the eternal creator God. That's who he is, and Mark is telling us that in the way he starts his gospel. Number two, who is the Messiah? Mark tells us there in that verse that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, but he's telling us in a way that, as if the reader might know who that was or who might have had some understanding of the word itself. And 2,000 years later, we don't have a cultural story that includes a Messiah. We're not in the 21st century uh, United Kingdom, we're not waiting for a Messiah to rescue the nation in that sense. You know, we're not expecting someone to come and rescue us uh, sort of like a superhero in that sense. But the idea of a Messiah was baked into the history of the Jewish nation. The Messiah literally means anointed one. And the expectation was that the Messiah would come and put everything right, um, as described in Isaiah 9 and many other Old Testament passages. And there was this expectation of the Messiah uh, in practical terms. Um, what would he come and do? Now, whilst they were waiting for a Messiah, they couldn't really agree on what he would be like when he came. And it seems as if many were expecting the Messiah to come and be a great political leader, to, to, to dominate the political scene, because that's kind of where the power was, um, or that, and maybe as well as, a great military leader in the tradition of David or uh, of Goliath fame, that they would literally physically um, beat the enemies of Israel, re-establish a physical kingdom, a country, a land that belonged to them. And that's the expectation for many. And so no one really expected someone like Jesus, who was born in obscurity, declaring himself to be the suffering servant from Isaiah. There in Mark 8, he does that. And it seems that um, the disciples' understanding of Jesus as Messiah was progressive. It grew over time um, as they saw how he interacted with those around him and heard what he said. They began to experience the miracles. It began to dawn on them, this is the Messiah. And they make that declaration in Mark 8, you're the Messiah. This is who you are. It wasn't immediately obvious though. And, Jesus, and Mark wants us to grapple with those thoughts as we read the stories that he is recording for us. Third question, who is the Son of God? You see, very deliberately, Mark tells us, Jesus is the Son of God. Why is that important? Why would he tell us that? What's, the, what's he trying to get at here? Now, we know it's important, but why is Mark telling us this? Well, one of the things Mark is keen for us to know is that Jesus has authority. And some have also said the reason that he's particularly emphasising the authority of Jesus is because he's writing for a mainly Roman audience, you know, a non-Jewish audience. And the Romans were particularly uh, kind of attracted to, they, 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 they honoured power, authority. And so 
So what Mark is doing is saying, look, the, here is one who carried ultimate authority. That's why you should listen to him. And we see that at various points through this gospel. Many times the stories that Mark tells establish Jesus' authority in a wide variety of situations. So Jesus has authority over demons, and we see demons being cast out at a word from Jesus. We see he has authority over sickness, and of course we see people being healed through Mark's gospel. He has, he has authority in contrast to the Pharisees. So when the Pharisees spoke and Jesus spoke, uh, we see a contrast between the authority that they both carried. And Jesus spoke as one with authority, and that's partly why the, the Pharisees hated him so much. And then we see, in, this, in a similar way, we see Jesus' authority in speech and in reasoning. And they came to try and uh, tackle him, and the Sadducees did at times, and the Pharisees did at times. And he was, they tried to tie him up in knots and basically got tied in knots themselves. Jesus had authority. Now the supreme authority, of course, that someone might carry would be the authority to forgive sins because only God could do that. And Mark, when he, uh, and Mark records that when Jesus healed the paralyzed man uh, coming down through the roof, if you remember, uh, he said, look, just so you know that I have authority to forgive sins because that's what he does first. He says, get up and pick up your mat and walk. And they're left stunned. <laughs> They desperately don't want him to be God. They're saying, you can't forgive sins. And he says, well, it's easy to say, I forgive your sins. It's really hard to say to a paralyzed man, get up and walk. And he does both. And what's the point? Well, the point is this, that only the son could carry the authority, the full authority of the father. So Jesus, of course, declares he is the son of God. But also Mark is keen for us to, to know that that's who he is. Okay, so let's move on to the next three questions, and we're moving on to this, the last verse of this passage as well. The kingdom of God has come near, uh, Mark 1 verse 15. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. What is the kingdom of God? And Mark is going to talk a lot about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus spoke a great deal about the kingdom. He told stories about how it worked and what it would look like. A lot of his parables are parables of the kingdom and about what the king of the kingdom would be like and how it would grow, the, the mustard seed, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the lost sheep, uh, uh, the lost son, the lost coins. What's it like in this kingdom? What is it going to be like? Um, he tells us stories of the kingdom and Mark wants us to grasp and grapple with something of that. See, the surprise was that, that although the Jews knew that they, there was a, a kingdom, um, their understanding of how that was going to look was different from the way Jesus talked. The kingdoms that they knew had military power, as we've said, physical boundaries. Uh, and those boundaries would likely increase, as with David and other kings throughout their history. There would be international recognition of this kingdom, just in that, like in the days of King Solomon, where kings and queens from from around the known world would come to visit this incredible wealthy kingdom that had been produced they also would have known the terrible and great roman empire this incredible kingdom that seemed to span the whole of the known world marching and conquering all in its path but in proclaiming the kingdom and declaring it was near jesus wasn't speaking about military power or political power he, had, he told stories 
and parables about, about what the king was like. And he told stories and parables about how the kingdom would grow, as we've said, and about the expectation of those who would pursue the kingdom. So firstly, in terms of the kingdom, Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God as he, as he ended the reign of death from the time of Adam. So this kingdom was a kingdom of life, and you're being, you're being invited into it, and you're being invited out of a kingdom of the, uh, this earth. So you're saying you're not part of this kingdom. This is about you and about your soul, about who you are. About the, about the creature that you are, I'm inviting you into a different kingdom and the centre point of that invitation is the cross itself. He's like, I'm ending the power of one kingdom and I'm inaugurating a new kingdom. Come and join me in this kingdom of life where death doesn't have the final say. And he invites us all into that. Um, and he invites us into this kingdom now by repenting and following him in faith. And there are signs of that kingdom uh, evidenced by healing and by the power of the Holy Spirit to fill someone, by spiritual gifts. Suddenly we are, we are in direct contact with a living God where we weren't before. This is what that kingdom is like. He is our Father. We have access into the Holy of Holies. We, we can know God in a way that we could never know him before. Why? Because the door has been opened into this new kingdom. But there's also a coming aspect of this new kingdom as well. So there's a coming aspect of the kingdom that when Jesus returns, his reign will be seen by all. At the moment, much of what Jesus does is, is hidden. Much of it is misunderstood. It's dismissed. But there will be a day when that no longer is the case. Jesus will return. All will see and bow before him. And he will remake, as he promises, all creation, everything, or the whole cosmos remade uh, as a complete manifestation of his wonderful kingdom. So the kingdom is where, the, where God reigns supreme. Uh, and that's what the kingdom is. We'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go through the next couple of questions. Okay, fifthly, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? Well, the gospel means, literally means good news. So the good news, this is the good news. The gospel is a word that just means good news. The gospel of the kingdom is that by believing in Jesus and in Jesus alone for your salvation, you become a new person, a new creature, a new creation, and you become part, as we've said, of that new kingdom. So the gospel is the way into this new kingdom. Through the good news about Jesus, I can enter into this new kingdom. Now, a lost and wayward humanity can be reunited with the God they've rejected by turning from everything else and putting their faith in Jesus and him alone. And God as a loving father will forgive and receive all and any who turn to him in repentance and faith. That's what the gospel is. It's saying, believe in Jesus. Believe that he's the son of God. Believe that he died to reunite you with the father. Believe that he died as a penalty for the sinfulness and the brokenness of this world. For your own broken sinfulness. And that if you will put your trust in him, you can join his family, be part of his new kingdom. And the church is to preach and demonstrate the gospel to everyone, everywhere, until Jesus returns. It's fairly simple, really. We tell this good news. We tell this news of death conquered, of sin forgiven, of guilt removed, of access to the God of creation, to everyone, everywhere, until Jesus returns. That's the gospel. 
And finally, the final question is this. Why do I need to repent to believe all this anyway? What's repentance? That sounds a bit archaic, doesn't it? Well, lots of reasons why repentance is important. Repentance really just means to turn, to turn around and go a different way. So I'm going this way and I repent and I turn around and I go the other way. That's really what repentance quite literally means. But let's just look at some reasons why repentance is so key. To follow a new direction, as I've just demonstrated, requires a change of course. Remember back in the days where we didn't have sat-navs, you had to have a physical map, and you get the map out, and you, you know, and there's lots of arguments in the car because that was the turning back there, and we missed it now, and all the rest of it. And most of that's gone away. But if you go wrong, you look at the map, and you realize I'm going in the wrong direction. Um, you don't just go faster in that same direction. You've got to stop and turn around and get back to where you are supposed to be. You've got to change course. You've got to repent. Um, repentance also requires an acknowledgement of error. So as part of that process, you've got to say, we are going wrong. It has gone wrong. Something isn't right. And an acknowledgement of that is the beginning of that process, the beginning of the repentance process. So we might, on a broad scale, just say, look, I, I just, I don't know much, but I can see that something about this world is broken. There's something badly broken about this world, and maybe there's something broken about me too. And that's the beginning steps towards repentance. Thirdly, you can't hold citizenship of two kingdoms together. You can't pledge allegiance to two kings. And we've just had a coronation where we've been asked to pledge allegiance to a king. But you can't actually, in real terms, pledge allegiance to two kings. Why can't you? Well, who, would, who are you going to fight for? Would be the tradition. <laughs> you can't, you know, if, the, if, if one attacks the other, who are you going to fight for? You can't be part of two kingdoms at the same time. And that's really important when it comes to this. You can't have a foot in the world, in that kingdom, and a foot in God's kingdom. You can't. It can't be done. Because we're fighting a spiritual battle that requires us to be all in with God, to be part of his glorious kingdom. Fourthly, well, the Bible requires it. It's simple. The Bible says you need to repent. Jesus said it. You need to stop and turn and follow. That when, when he called those disciples out of their boats and, and for Matthew, he called him out of the tax collector's booth. He says, stop and follow. <laughs> so he requires repentance, even in those early days and right up to now too. And then finally, you can't, just like you can't be two, part of two kingdoms, you can't hold two belief systems at the same time. You can't do that, uh, really. Um, I mean, you can try, but there will be there's there's a there's a kind of error alert. You can't do that. You can't believe that I'm the champion of my own destiny and believe that God is the Lord of the universe. Those two things don't go together. They are uh, opposites, and so you've got to repent of one and do the other. So there's a bunch of questions that I hope have helped you. These are the things that Mark is concerned about. Many others too, of course, as we work our way through. But Mark is urging people to consider Jesus. Who is this Jesus? As we look at the miracles, as we consider the teaching, as we look at his authority, as we see how he interacted with people, the same question that was being asked of those early uh, observers of Jesus are now being asked from Mark's account of those things. And he's asking you, 
Who, who do you think Jesus is? And I'm asking you on behalf of Mark now, saying, who do you think he is? Just a good teacher? A, a crazy man? A historic figure? Don't think he existed at all? I'm asking you, have an opinion. Think about what it is that is being taught here in this book. The things that are being recorded about Jesus. Who is he? Is he the son of God? Is he the chosen Messiah sent to rescue us? Does he have the authority that you've been talking about? Can he forgive sins? Can he bring us into a glorious, wonderful, eternal kingdom where everything is put right? Who is Jesus? Ask yourself that question. And you might, even as a Christian of long standing, want to ask again, what is my opinion? What do I think of Jesus? That might seem an obvious answer if you're a believer, but we get confused over time. We need to keep asking these questions, and Mark is going to help us to do that. Well, I hope this is a helpful introduction. And as we just conclude today, I'm going to ask for God's help. Father, I thank you that we don't explore this incredible book alone. Thank you. It's not just like another book where we read or we forget or we skim, but we do this with you. Thank you that you are real, that your power is evident, that this book it lives, that these words are not like any other words that we'll ever read. These are living, powerful words that can change the destiny of nations and of individuals and of us and Spirit of God, come and make these words live. And as we consider this issue, who is this Jesus? Holy Spirit, come and make Jesus uh, alive to us to see who you are, the living and eternal God. Amen. Amen.